there are two things that I want to thank you for. First of all, heading on over to patreon.com forward slash duckfeedtv. If you have already done so and you're one of our patrons, that's awesome. If not, uh, please consider doing so. We're very close to our next uh, milestone goal, which specifically helps us get a separate computer and mixer for third guests. Um, So most of the time it's just me and Cole, but we want our third guest to sound better, and we have really awesome guests lined up this season next week, starting with Vadi Vidya. And um, the caliber is, is, as far as uh, notoriety, um, is higher than it's been any other season. The other thing we want to thank you for is excusing the fact that I have a dryer going on in the background, and uh, my cat is incessantly mewing prior to this. Both those things, eternal thanks. And on to the show. Some of our landings were desperate adventures. We are now prepared to meet the inevitable counterattacks with power and with confidence. My name is Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And you're listening to Bonfireside Chat. It is a bloody, beastly favorite. Mm-hmm. And this week we are reading responses to the intro to Bloodborne. Uh, for anybody who is not aware of what the appendix episodes are, uh, we really value listener participation. People uh, who listen to the show and play along see things that we don't see, and we want to hear those stories. Um, so what you're going to be uh, hearing through this is uh, people who have responded to us either on Facebook or have gone to duckfeed.tv slash contact and uh, written in. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you would like to join them, if you have things to say about the next area we're talking about, which is uh, Central Yarnum, up through the first boss, hit us up through either of those uh, channels. Yeah. Um, yeah. So before <laughs> we get started, we have a quick little giveaway. Yeah. Our good friend Stella King, who does a wonderful job helping promote us on Twitter. Thank you, Stella mm-hmm. King. You're, you're, you're fantastic. He writes in saying, knowing you gents have a fondness for the fedora, I thought you'd be thrilled with this. Here's a spare code for the fedora messenger skin. It is Europe, UK, slash PAL territories DLC only. Please note, uh, it is verified as valid, and it might be useful to one of the listeners. So I'm going to read this code out, and uh, it is first come, first serve. Yeah, go for okay. it. 4 N eight R dash E G N T dash six eight three eight. Do you want me to yeah, get that go- again? Um, I, I think I mean, it's a podcast. People can hit the 30 <laughs> seconds back button. Yes, they can. <laughs> Pretty easily. Um, the, uh, yeah, so scramble for that, that fedora, you <laughs> neck lords. Um, <laughs> neck lords. The, the like, neck a, lords. like a Tim Burton creature. Like, ah, yes, the neck lord. <laughs> the, the, uh, Jimmy Giraffe. <laughs> one, one thing you should know if you are new to this is that Stella King is not being sarcastic at all. Mm-hmm. And that Cole and I both have a fine and extensive collection of uh, gentlemen's hat wear. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why we like to wear fedoras um, is because I think it makes us look uh, not at all um, <laughs> like somebody playing pathetically at an affected uh, version anachronism, of manliness. You know? Yeah, I, yeah, I, like I think, anachronistic think, yeah. man fantasy. <laughs> Mantisy uh, number twelve. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> first appearance of the giant sized man thing. <laughs> the um, yeah, I, I don't uh, I don't actually care for Doris. And also, if I, I like, I like the idea that he's giving this away. If you guys want your little guys to be tiny little uh, skeleton neck lords, um, <laughs> that's fine. I would not dress my messengers in a fedora. Yeah, um, I, I prefer the stately top hat. I feel like, yeah, I, I can see a top hat. I feel like hats are being ruined. Mm-hmm. Like not, not a day goes by that somebody doesn't wear, somebody I don't like doesn't wear a hat and, and become iconic for it. Yeah. Like, there's so few hats left. 
Well, you you live in Crazy Hat Central, USA, too. Well, that, that, that's that's true. I was I was just thinking about it on Twitter and stuff, but like, I walk out. So I live in Portland, Oregon. So I walk outside and just like, oh fuck you, fuck 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 you, fuck <laughs> fuck you, fuck you. Like, it's like a constant stream of fuck you to yeah. the hats. Um, <laughs> Whereas I I live in Cincinnati, and because I work downtown, I have to drive past Red Stadium every day. And oh, because sure. because it is now the spring and baseball season has started up, anybody who's wearing a Reds hat and walking on the sidewalk could potentially just dart out in front of traffic because they're trying to get to the stadium. So yeah, I gotta get there in time to see all the baseballs. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like, geez. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, hats, yay for messengers, <laughs> bad for humans. If you, if you wear a fedora, don't, uh, don't yeah. be offended. And you know I, I, it's yeah. a stereotype. It's one of those things where if like somebody says, Hey, you live in Portland, you must be a shitty vegetarian, you know, unicycle douchebag. I'm not going to be like, that's not me. So I'm not going to be offended by it, but it is a stereotype that I share one aspect with. The object itself has no in- inherent power. It is the interpretation and the stereotype. That, yes. uh, that, that that creeps about and if you can pull off a fedora or a hat then more power to you because you have a normal proportion head and not a planetarium <laughs> like i have so yeah or like like most of these dudes have um who wear these things yeah um, i like it's a planetarium that may, that makes me think of your head with like hundreds of little ion stone like coal heads <laughs> well, orbiting it well gary at least three times a week i uh, I, I dream about laser floyd so yeah <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, so yeah, thanks, uh, Stella King. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're on to some just kind of quick responses we have. Uh, Tom Server on Facebook says, uh, this game has a sword that you can stick into a tombstone to become a hammer. How is this not the only topic of the show? Uh, <laughs> well, we have we, a special plan for yeah, it. So. Yeah, we we have a seven-episode arc. <laughs> yeah. The uh, pre- Pretty pretty rad. And that mm-hmm. weapon actually is pretty awesome uh, yeah. that he's talking about. It was one of the first ones I, I got mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. After, you know, like only seven hours in. <laughs> uh, Brandon Goodrich writes in via Facebook saying, I've recently been doing a re-listen of The Level, another show here on the on the network. And I hit the episode where Cole bemoaned a listener uh, not wanting to name a character Cole. I believe I, I didn't want to have them name a character Cole. So Brandon goes on to say, as such, my first character is Cole Ross. And he wields a threaded cane and some sweet ass steampunk goggles. And get him a fedora. Mm. And then you can just make you can just make like negative universe coal. <laughs> you you can't make um one of the things about this game is I was trying to you know when I see a character creation thing, one of the first things I try to do is make somebody who looks like me mm-hmm. just to do it. And you can't really do it in this game because you can't make uh, men of carriage. Mm-hmm. Like everyone is such a wasting waif yeah. that I couldn't make anybody with uh, my kind of thunder gut. Yeah. But they uh they, they beard game on point. Yeah, the beard game's really good. Yeah. Um yeah, which which is really good. So yeah, you could make a little coal, like a little steampunk coal ross. <laughs> What what would have what event in your past would have had to have happened for that to be the real Koros? Uh, you know what? I think I would have had to fall into a different crowd in college, by mm. which I mean any crowd at all, as opposed to immediately becoming a shut in who communicated only by radio. <laughs> there you go. You heard it here, folks, new listeners. Um, uh, so yeah, on to responses about the uh, the area, the clinic, and spooky intro. Jeremy Greer says via Facebook, um, on my second playthrough, I decided to kill the first werewolf using only my kung fu. As you know, your fists do hardly any damage, so if you rely on basic dodge attack strats, it will take forever. However, if you manage to bait it into a charge, get behind it for a charged R2 slash backstab, you can take it out in two or three hits. I can't imagine a better way to start a second playthrough. <laughs> I also want to say how much I love knocking on doors and talking to NPCs, even though I missed actually meeting them entirely. It's such a cool mechanic throughout the game. Yeah. Um, Jeremy runs the uh, Dark Souls haters 
mm-hmm. blog. So darksoulshaters.tumblr.com, mm-hmm. I believe. And uh, you should check that out um, if you are uh, immune to seeing slurs. Yes. Because uh, it's a lot of soul. It's exclusively for souls hate mail, <laughs> uh, which is not always very imaginative. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, other than that, Jerry is uh, <laughs> Jerry. Uh, Jeremy is a frequent uh, frequent guest and a totally cool dude. Watch out for him on the on the Facebook group. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, and good good points. I uh, I killed the wolf this most recent time, um, but I again I was disappointed you don't get anything. Yeah. Womp womp. Uh, Jeff writes NBA contact saying, besides starting as Matt Shop, one of the things that struck me uh, about the first areas of Bloodborne is how dark it is. Uh, this may be an old harp, but the lighting system downgrade in Dark Souls 2 was a disappointment. The start of Bloodborne sets a precedent for the aesthetic dis- the difficulty of perception, uh, something that eventually had me carrying a torch in one hand as opposed to a gun for the majority of my playthrough. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Um, and that, that continues throughout the game. And one of the ways they can get away with that. So, like, if you uh, think about the way that they originally planned to do Dark Souls 2, it was always supposed to be this trade-off between a torch and a shield. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons they can make Bloodborne so dark, I think, is that the trade-off is very easy to make. Mm-hmm. Like, not having your gun isn't that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, so you can make things really dark and make you have your torch um, out most of the time. The other kind of point to this I want to make is that uh, people who... Generally, if you have a Dark Souls 2 uh, playthrough left in you, pick up the Scholar remake yeah. because it's dark as hell. <laughs> it is the original lighting that we wanted. Like yeah. the areas from the, the trailers and stuff, like the whole thing isn't dark because that wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> but uh, it is it is dark as hell. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's fantastic. Give it a shot. It's, it's super easy to buy on PC if you have it through Steam. So, yeah, and it's 20 bucks if you have it through Steam. So, yeah, mm. cool. Uh, Robin Gilmore via Facebook. Hey, Robin says trying to kill that first beast in the clinic uh with my bare hands was impossible because i was laughing too hard to properly attack and dodge (laughs) this is a battle where you were obviously supposed to lose and a wonderful return to demon souls is way of the world and then to be followed up by an uh, by an area that felt like the nexus had been attacked by a horde of landscape gardeners was an added bonus i don't think i've spent so much time trying to interact with an inanimate doll in a video game it was driving me nuts and felt slightly creepy it was slightly creepy (laughs) The uh, everyone is picking up this like chop motion that you do with your hands. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like that. Didn't stand out as much to me as it did to everyone else. No. So like the so this the, like the start out like the fact that you like when you're bare when you're bare fisted you kind of act like your 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 hands are together holding something like you're fighting yeah. like a lost sinner, right? Is that what they're latching onto? Or I yeah I don't know. Um, specifically they're talking well they're talking about like in this game when you first start out and you have like you you do chops you don't do punches. Mm. You know you do you do literally like side side swipes Weird. yeah i didn't notice that yeah 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 I, I didn't it didn't affect me that much like i did notice it but it wasn't like you know it wasn't huge to me mm-hmm. but uh, other people noticed it more um but yeah it is awesome that they have this kind of uh encounter you're supposed to die in mm-hmm. um when we eventually cover the uh, again just to bring it back to dark souls 2 because people aren't sick of that at all um when we actually do the design works thing that was originally going to be in you know that is a from software tradition it was originally going to be in dark souls 2 mm-hmm. and they cut it out yep um which, you know, for, for the worse, like I'm not defending that as a decision to saying that uh, I think it was supposed to be a, a through line throughout all of their games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean says, by contact, the opening of Bloodborne immediately set me up for uh, the fact that this was not a Dark Souls game. Uh, the opening cinematic that establishes the history of Lordran is gone. As Cole said in the first season, the opening cinematic of Dark Souls is one of the only objective sources for information in the game and something that Bloodborne foregoes entirely. After establishing that blood is everything in Yarnum, the game has the audacity to end this dialogue with, 
Whatever happens, you may think it all a mere bad dream, effectively calling into question the reality of anything that you do afterwards, aka the entire game. This is only reinforced by the wolf beast and messenger cutscene, which I believe is symbolic of being infected with the scourge and the messengers intervening before you're overtaken. This entire opening stands in stark contrast to the objective opening of Dark Souls, and From is pushing you to question the validity of everything, leaving you with only a single note, seek pale blood in order to transcend the hunt. Of course, you leave this room and are most likely to die to the wolf beast and wake in the hunter's dream, which appears to be a lovely place. However, Frum would not be satisfied with letting you have one place, even a dream, that feels secure and objectively nice. Inside the workshop, a note describes the hunter's dream as dreadful, and in order to escape it, stop the source of the scourge, lest the night carry on forever. This, combined with Gerben's creepy doll line, tinges this refuge with mystery and suspicion. The opening boils down to mystery and confusion, and it gave me an insatiable thirst to find out more about this world and gain insight into what's going on in Yarnum. In contrast to Dark Souls, which gives you some basic world information and a simple goal to ring a bell, Bloodborne not only offers very little information, but actively casts doubt about what little it gives, and tells you to seek pale blood, halt the source of the scourge, collect blood, and uh, go out and hunt some beast. It's all amazingly disorienting, especially for somebody trying to closely follow what's going on. From knows how people enjoy their games, and I can't help but feel that this opening is playing with us uh, for those of us who enjoy the series for its lore and story by obfuscating anything that could be concrete information. To top it all off, German's final introductory line saying, you're sure to be in a fine haze now, but don't think too hard about all this. Just go out and kill a few beasts. It's for your own good. Solidifies for me the intentionality of this confusion and is a very cheeky line shot right at the player. Yeah. Yeah. Good, uh, good, uh, uh, insight. Yeah. Sean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know that I have anything really to add to that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, no. I mean, it, it bears out too. Like, I don't want to talk about it too much, but the, the, the thesis bears out at least. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. In a satisfying way. And, you know, for anybody who is kind of like partway through this, you know, the, 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 the disorientation is very much intentional. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, for, for as frustrating as it might be in the moment, like most things related to, related to the series, uh, to the series, pain and confusion now leads to satisfaction later. Yes. Uh, so this next one from Luke is also uh, relatively long. Again, I said it in the main episode, but if anybody's going to write in, try and be a little bit brief. I've edited these down, if you, if you can believe. Um, but, uh, but these are very thoughtful, and I wanted to get them in here um, in some form or fashion. So Luke says, via contact, uh, the one thing I did spoil for myself in the lead-up to Bloodborne was the opening minutes. So Yosefka's clinic and the Hunter's Dream didn't blow my mind at first glance. They just gently caressed it with the, altern- uh, with the alternating directions of scary and serene that the Souls games like... Uh, Uh, like to yin and yang between in their openings. I'm sure others will elaborate on just what makes these two areas gritty and gorgeous in equal measure. Outside of the ambience, the clinic seemed a pretty empty place, so I didn't expect to spend much time there once I moved past the lamp. So I took a thorough look on my second trip through, expecting to say goodbye to the gory place and found the first NPC door hidden back <laughs> hidden back there, and I instantly knew that this game was going to be overwhelming me with obtuse side characters. Besides the effect of progressing uh, the game has on the atmosphere, The Hunter's Dream also has an amazing moment of recursion that I can't really talk about here. Good luck structuring this season. Thank you. Um, (laughs) That made me look uh, at this hub area in a whole new way. Specifically, it made me look at those distant pillars, those arch trees, in a whole new way. 
The monocular is too steampunk to function, so it's hard to get a proper glimpse, but it's possible that there are little hills, little green tufts of grass, little rows of graves, and a shed manor up there too. Is this where German goes when you're not doing anything exciting? Does he have other hunters going on, going on the side? Uh, is that where the NPCs use their dolls? Or is it use their dolls, since they nearly all suggest that they no longer dream, maybe by choice, maybe because they were cut off from it? While they maybe lack the mechanical complexity of some of the other opening areas, there is a level of lore and design here that exceeds the initial expectations. There are layers and layers to dig through, even here in these simplest of settings. Yeah. Yeah, I agreed. Um, this this is the most um, dense setting from the, kind of the rest of the storyline. Like, I remember when we did the Demon Soul setting, um, we spent some time agonizing, like, what is the Nexus? Mm-hmm. Like, why is this here? Um, Firelink is functions as a mechanical safe haven more than it did as a narrative one. Mm-hmm. Um, and Majula, while, like, I think is probably out of those three, is probably the most successful as far as being interesting, mm-hmm. doesn't have an identity before you get there. Right. Like, it is, it is a, a space rather than a place. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't... Uh, it becomes a kind of a warm place as you gather up yeah. merchants and NPCs and stuff. But initially it's just like, what is this weird abandoned seaside town? It's evocative mm-hmm. and beautiful, but it doesn't have a point. This plays into the game in a way that the hub worlds haven't right. in Souls games. And the fact that it's established as a dream means that, you know, you're going to be looking at it in terms of symbolism as opposed to, you know, space like you would with, uh, um, you know, Firelink or Majula or in terms of function as you would with the Nexus. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, Which is very cool. Yeah. The fact that it carries narrative weight um, is uh, is spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks, Luke. Josh Redding says via Facebook, <clears throat> talk about a way to start a game. Werewolf rising up from the blood pit after you just got a transfusion from a questionable character at best. The Hunter's Dream was a fascinating nexus. It intrigues with the promise of four entirely separate worlds on one side and the dungeons on the other. I spent a good 20 minutes wandering about, looking at every note and slashing with my sword cane. The doll was instantly memorable and fashioned its own personality from the Maiden in Black and the Emerald Herald, which I appreciated. Yeah. And we'll we'll talk about, you know, usually in these seasons when we run into an NPC, we talk about them. Um, we will... The, the the kind of things that turn the doll into an NPC mm-hmm. and uh, turn uh, Yosefka into an NPC don't happen yet. Yeah. So we're going to talk about those when they show up. Yeah. When and those events unlock. But the, you know the doll is an NPC. That's that's pretty interesting. And we'll be careful to avoid spoiling those because those do ratchet kind of step by step. Um, yes. And uh, you know we will wait until the final like big movement in order to uh, uh, kind of like ext- extrapolate what, what each of the parts means. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at this here, more, more stuff specifically about The Hunter's Dream. Vivienne writes in via Facebook, The Hunter's Dream is the best hub area in any Souls game, with its unique clash between pastoral coziness and otherworldly creepiness. It's a bit lonelier than Nexus or Firelink Shrine, but that suits Bloodborne just fine. I'm not sure I'd be comfortable inviting any of these NPCs in, anyhow. Yeah, it doesn't, uh, people don't show up here, which no. happens in every other hub world. Which is which is uh, kind of interesting, but that's not to say it's static. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I agree. Like, I don't know if it's I. I have a real soft spot for like first seeing Majula. Mm-hmm. Like, I like Majula an awful lot. Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking about this question or this uh, this comment. I was thinking like, I don't know exactly which one's my favorite. I think the Nexus is my least favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, the Nexus is very cool, but it just you know it's so utilitarian. Yeah. So I, I like Firelink specifically because of the way they play with the sense of security. Yeah. Well, they, they, I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, without getting into too many spoilers, I can't talk about that further. Yeah, I know. Um, uh, yeah, and I, yeah, I was I was going to go on with that too, but it's like, I'm just yeah, yeah. Um, Levi says via contact. The Hunter's Dream, while pretty, is ultimately too vacant. I'm not sure why they chose to keep the player hub and NBC, NPC hub separate. When it came to weapon choice, I went with Threaded Cane for two reasons. One, it seemed like it would be fun, and it is. It's an extremely satisfying weapon to use, so much so that I based an entire build around it. Two, it reminded me of the antagonist weapon from the movie Brotherhood of the Wolf. Somebody at From is clearly a fan of that movie because this game pulls a lot of influences from it. Do a Google search, and it is pretty obvious. And we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, is there more there? Oh, no, there's uh, okay, no. Cool. Yeah, so I, I put it in a marker there for that sneeze. Yeah, Brotherhood of the Wolf is coming up a lot in uh, uh, specifically our fans, uh, bringing that to our attention. I've seen it. It's directed by Christoph Gans, the guy who did uh, who did the uh, um, Silent Hill movie. Okay. Um, I remember not being too terribly impressed, but I don't know if upon watching it now, I would be kind of, I would appreciate it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested in that. Um, perhaps I'll watch that at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at the, yeah, so you, you two disagree, Levi and Vivienne, and that's why <laughs> let's do a Maury-esque showdown, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Adding them no. onto the line right now. No, let's not do that. No. Uh, Stuart writes in via contact saying, I find the conversation with Garriman very interesting in an English major kind of way. The way he talks about the hunt is directed at the gamer mindset, telling us right off that we're thinking too hard seems like a classic Souls move. It parallels the unsure goals of Dark Souls 2. Actually, a lot of the game seems to be uh, directly set up against Dark Souls 2. Weapon of choice, Threaded Cane. Theme song, Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. (laughs) Which, I don't know why he decided to include that. Uh, Maybe it's because of the uh, the cane beating scene set to that song in Shaun of the Dead. Oh, yeah. Um, huh. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting that you say it parallels the goal of Dark Souls 2 while the rest of the game is set up uh, against it. Because there are kind of more, like, and we'll, we'll talk, we'll eventually shed this defensiveness. But the, the urge for the community to shove Dark Souls 2 down the memory hole, I think, is kind of misguided, mm-hmm. um, especially after Scholar and such. And there are a couple other things that this game does borrow from that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not not least of which that sense of. You know, you're the you know the the developer telling the player you're going to do things without knowing that you're doing why mm-hmm. you're doing them, um, and one pays off more successfully than the other. Mm-hmm. It's true, but they're both it's kind of similar. And then obviously the threaded cane, which is the same weapon, more or less from from a later thing. But yeah, like the uh, it it does it both parallels and plays against it. But it plays against all the Souls games, is the thing. Like you know that security of the uh, your nexus point. Um, and the way that's used, like that doesn't just play against Dark Souls 2, it plays against the entire series, mm-hmm. you know, um, there, and then the entire way that they tell the story, the yeah. way that, uh, NPCs operate is different than anything else too. Yeah. And so. it's, and it's wonderful, especially if you're walking into it with, with, with knowledge of the series, because it is using your assumptions against you much in the same yes. way that like a lot of the games do. So like that is something yeah. that they all have in common with each other, which I definitely dig. Mm-hmm. Um, Emily says via contact. For me, Bloodborne started off uh, strong in a typical Soul series fashion by mirroring my experiences with my characters. By the time I had control of my character, I felt like a stranger in a strange land with no idea who I was or what I should be doing. So I read the item descriptions on my armor, which told me that I was indeed a stranger in a strange land with no idea who I was or what I should be doing. My character and I fumbled along in the dark together, killing things ineptly until we found our way to the hunter's dream. 
Gearman wasn't very helpful, but a small discarded note in the corner of the workshop told me that I could escape the dream by halting the source of the spreading scourge of beast. Um, it was more straight, uh, the most straightforward piece of advice this game would ever give me. For that reason, it stuck with me, and I was reminded of it every time I visited the workshop and saw it glinting out of the corner of my eye. I, I imagine that this knowledge gave me both me and my character purpose and direction, even though I still have no idea who planted it there or whether I should be listening to their advice in the first place. Yeah. 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 That, that's, uh, that's, that's well said. I got nothing to add. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. Reliable, the re- reliability of information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you, Emily. Uh, we're moving on to a section that we call just fun and don't worry, nothing's wrong. Yeah, <laughs> usually usually is, but now we're okay. <laughs> yep, uh, but uh, Matt wrote in, uh, and you're going to discover why we're putting this in here. I recently... I'm sorry. <laughs> the, the it's okay. Yep. Yeah, bad, uh, Matt just pulled up. Hey, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Matt says, I recently discovered your podcast, and I enjoyed the Bloodborne First Impressions installment greatly. Having never played a Souls game, I'm finding your comparisons to the previous titles very helpful in my decision regarding whether or not I want to try Dark Souls 2, Scholar of, Scholar of the First Sin, after finishing Bloodborne. Uh, you asked for the perspective of somebody who is playing Bloodborne but has never played a Souls game previously. Short answer, I love it. So far, I've been pleased with my progress. I had a rocky start in the streets of Yarnum. I went down the same path toward the bonfire around 50 times, gradually learning the Why positions. Why are you calling it a bonfire if you've never... <laughs> what happened to you? It, 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 is, it is a bonfire, right? It's a... Oh, I mean, I guess that's true. Like, yeah. Yeah, you, <laughs> that's more of an huh. effigy burning, but kind of, yeah, they're, they're throwing bodies wow. on the bonfire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, loaded term. Well, it's only loaded because of you know the shit we do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he worked there around fifty times, gradually learning the positions and patrols of the enemies. As I opened up shortcuts, began to level up, and became accustomed to the combat, something about Bloodborne just clicked. I find myself progressing through the game with a sense of purpose and confidence. Only two of the five bosses I've defeated have given me any trouble. My fear is that I'm about to sort of hit some kind of wall, either a location too difficult to traverse or a boss too difficult to fell. I love how Bloodborne has, so far, not kept me on a linear path. I have yet to feel boxed in, and I hope I never do. The freedom to explore this wonderful macabre world is the thing that I love most about the game. My absolute favorite thing is the relief of opening a gate that leads back to a lamp after a long, tension-filled trek where there, where there was no quarter. Not having played the Souls games, I find Bloodborne reminds me of other properties. The monster design makes me think of the Vita title Soul Sacrifice. Climbing ladders and opening gates seems very much like Eco. The Victorian Gothic setting makes me look forward to the new season of the underappreciated Penny Dreadful. The costumes, especially those masks and hats, share inspiration with the French flick Brotherhood of the Wolf. I can see shades of Resident Evil and Silent Hill in Bloodborne as well. I think about uh, I think about Bloodborne when I'm not playing it, and I want to be playing it constantly. I've had to exercise an incredible amount of willpower to stay off of the Bloodborne wiki and subreddit. I want to know everything about this game, but I don't want to spoil the experience of uncovering its secrets for myself. I can't believe I wrote so many words when there when there are more monsters that need to be killed. Now I grab my bloodied but trustworthy axe and take my leave of you. All right, thanks, Matt. Yeah. So like the stuff that you're hitting on loving about it, like, yeah, that's you're 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 seeing it. You're feeling yeah, and, it. And 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 safely you should play all the other Souls games. Yeah. <laughs> like just, just uh, you know, play play each one. Mm-hmm. So and I, that's what you want to do. I, I kind of want to hear the uh the experience of going backwards from this and kind oh, of that would be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and hear uh what he thinks of the the, the older Souls combat um in uh in contrast to this. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is as big a difference. But um, you, those things that you like, 
you will still like about those games. And uh, yeah, and thank you. Know, hopefully, I uh, stick around, and uh, you know, we can tell you everything that happens in this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you can stay off those wikis. <laughs> We're happy to have um, you. And, yeah. yeah. And uh, finally, Steven says by contact, I saw on either the Bloodborne or Dark Souls Facebook page, I forget which, that they had posted a poll to fans which IP they liked better. I personally find them almost too different to to be compared like that. Granted, they do scratch similar itches that not many other games do with their lack of hand-holding and story and gameplay. But along with a shift in aesthetic, Bloodborne feels like it has taken a farther lateral step from Dark Souls than Dark Souls has taken from Demon Souls. What are your thoughts? Um, absolutely. Yeah. Like this is the most different game in the uh, the Quattro. Yeah, it's it's uh it's not quite apples and motorcycles, but it is apples and ham. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Together at last. <laughs> um, bananas and ham. Delicious bake for your grandma to make. I just imagine the, some kind of horrible jello dish. <laughs> yeah, people make that, man. Banana ham is a real thing. Ugh. That's fucking disgusting. Um yeah, they're they they're very different. Um the it's it's hard to say. Like it, I I agree with you as far as comparing them. Like it definitely makes sense for us to cover it. Mm-hmm. Like it's not so different, you know, that we, we cover Lords of the Fallen for Christ's sakes, <laughs> but like it, it's, it's not, it doesn't feel like the same series. It does feel like a separate IP. Mm-hmm. It does feel like the kind of thing you can prefer one or the other, mm-hmm. um, you know, because like in my way, like that's why they can be compared. Mm-hmm. Like when you say they posted a poll of which IP they like better, um, you can, I think you can have a preference because they are so different. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those things when people say apples and oranges and it's like, can't compare apples and oranges. Well, it's like, well. You know, <laughs> they're uh, good for one, different things. Like, yeah, one one tastes like one thing, the other one tastes like one another thing, but you can definitely prefer one or the other. Mm-hmm. Like it is fine to compare them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like they're they're good for different things, which is what that expression means. But a lot of times people use that expression to mean there's no point in preferring one, mm-hmm. which is not the case. Yeah. You know, like you can like one or the other. So I, I would be interested to see the results of that poll. Mm-hmm. Um all in all, like it is still like this is very fresh in my mind. It is so hard to erase my like Dark Souls one experience yeah. as not just like looming tall yeah. over everything. But uh I think that this each one, each game of the the quadrain kind of does something different in the best way, you know, possible that I really like. Yeah. I mean the answer to this question, which one do you like, is like the answer to so many questions, it's complicated. Yeah. Right. You know, that's that's all Facebook needs to know, to know about my relationships. Yeah, that's <laughs> no, all you need to know about my relationship to this game. Yeah, no. So you know, and and I think that in in that complication lies all of the interesting things to talk about. And uh, yeah, um, you know, the 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 areas where each of them raises up from the other is the area where we can look in and kind of like take note. And I think that free from any overarching um, value judgment, which I think is what there's a lot of pressure to like rush to. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, the that nuanced conversation is the one that I'm really excited to have. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, so thanks everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big turnout. Hopefully, we can we can keep that going. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have things to say about Central Yarnum, hit, hit us up at duckfeed.tv forward slash contact. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know the normal things to do: uh, iTunes ratings, reviews, um, Patreon.com forward slash duckfeedtv. Mm-hmm. Um, hit us up on Facebook. All those things we really appreciate it. Yeah. Tell your friends. Um, and uh, here's the thing about these appendix episodes. Sometimes we have deleted scenes. Yeah, that's the other thing. So it's it's your thoughts and then our thoughts that are not about the matter at hand. <laughs> and uh, they're usually pretty brief, but uh, here they are. I gotcha. Today's a good day. We're recording the first Bloodborne episode. Yeah. Well, well thank you. I'll, I'll take that into account and no longer feel cranky about anything else. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm just, I'm um, no, get, I know. You're trying to get you cheered up. I appreciate it. I'm, yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm cranky as well. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> been, a, been a cranky couple of days. Yeah.
Um, also, Rory's just caught like a huge fly and ate it, and it grossed me out really good. Ew. Like huge, huge, like, huge, like, like the size ho- of my like pinky. Ew, like a horse fly? Um, I don't know. No, no, I mean not like that, but like it was just a, it was big, it was thick. Was it pinky shaped? Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> it was it was like the, like the pinky from your knuckle down, like that was a yeah, spot. And uh, it was just like it was like an Adonis, <laughs> and he just took it and like caught it in one swipe, and it was like impaled on his claw. Oh Jesus! He looked at it for a second and then just ate it. <laughs> it's really like, I don't think you that way, buddy. I will take what's mine. Yeah, it's weird. Super weird. Yeah, that's. Huh. I hate it when it flies big. Ed- I hate it when it flies big enough that you can see its uh, its uh, opalescence. Oh yeah. You're dead. Yeah. Ugh. Flies are gross, man. All yeah. bugs are gross. Butterflies are gross. Like once you get past the wings, they're fucking disgusting. Yeah, yeah. If you like, look at the wings, and then beetles too. Beetles look cute, and then like once you get under there, it's just nightmare city. Yeah, yeah. Everything is a horseshoe crab. Yeah, it's fucking disgusting. Play Titan Souls. Play that demo. Um, Titan Souls. Is that the one I think it is? It might be. I don't know. I don't know what you think it is. Because I think I played. There's a Flash game it's based on where it's like it's one hit death and you have one arrow. Yes, that is the one. Yes. Yeah, I played. I played the Flash game for you know a half hour or so like that. Like that. I don't know what they've changed in the real version. Neither do I. Um, it's uh, it's very good. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I dig it. Um, yeah, I I'm, I need another like escapism game mm-hmm. too. I was playing like last night. I had a very frustrating video game night because I was playing um bloodborne to review this mm-hmm. started a new character and everything and um i'd just come back from scholar so like i was getting <laughs> used to the systems and it's really hard to adjust whiplash yeah. and I, yeah i kept dying and then i lost um one of my a team in uh darkest dungeon oh man sucks yeah which is fine like that's what's ha- supposed to happen and your your characters keep advancing and they can't do old dungeons so like mm-hmm. eventually somebody from the farm league is going to get promoted anyway but like yeah i was mad <laughs> Yeah, well, it's still a setback. Just like, yeah. yeah, just like, come on, all right. And it was, it was the guy. It was the only guy who survived from the very from the tutorial. Oh wow! Or from the first set of groups. Like yeah. it was my last original character. Mm-hmm. So, Renaud, of oh. course, a bitch <laughs> died to the Swine King. We- <laughs> so, <laughs> rest in pieces. And we all pray that we will have far more soon.